Hey, and welcome back to the Local 636 Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Akers. Thanks for joining us in Let's Groove Studios. Today, I'm talking with Kyle Gaines of SCAD. We're going to find out all the fun information about your ambulance district. Welcome to the show, Kyle. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah. Appreciate it. This is a new setup for us. It's beautiful. Um, thank you. So we had the you know new studio, but this is a new setup with the kind of one-on-one couch, kind of like a living room. Um, we've got Manny Fresh and uh, producer Angel back there. And there with Let's Groove Entertainment, I should say, Let's Groove Entertainment is a is a great podcast studio. As you can see, um, they do all kinds of stuff. Any any podcast need that you have, um, any if you need voiceover work, uh, if you need camera work, uh, that can all happen at Let's Groove Studios. Um, right here in the heart of downtown Cottleville, super easy to get to, um, super great people to work with. Also, you have Let's Groove Entertainment, which is the DJ services. I'm sure you've seen those. I uh, have. Seen them I out. have on a number of occasions. Yeah. Uh, awesome partner of Cottleville Weldon Spring Chamber and several other organizations here in the county. Very Not much quite so. Not sure where, where we'd be without them at this point. Right. I know. It wouldn't be as entertaining. It would not. We would just have to yell loudly exactly. in the meetings. Um, so which microphones up. No, 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 not us. Uh, and so we can flash somewhere on the screen a link to Let's Groove, maybe? Over here, or is it over here? No, do you want to put it here? We'll do it. You want to put it here? Yeah. Okay. It's the link is He's right here. He's got it taken. Care He's of. got to take care of. Okay. Without further ado, let's talk about Kyle Gaines. All right. So Kyle just found out you're a transplant. I am an Illinois transplant. Well, that's um, a dirty word. I I know I know, and and people have seen me around this community for you know, 15 plus years, uh, I often laugh and say, I've never had a big boy job outside of St. Charles County. It's where I've spent my entire professional life, uh, but grew up over kind of in between Alton and Edwardsville. And um, whenever my wife and I got married, uh, we, we did buy a house over there and lived over in uh, Godfrey, Illinois until December of 2017. And that's when we made the move. Well, that's fresh. Direction. That's yeah. fresh. I've been here 15 years and I still think I'm an outsider. So I didn't know if you, do you still, of course the community's embraced you, right? And, and all that, but, but there's a thing in St. Charles County where it's like, almost if you weren't born here, it's like, eh, you're not really from here yet. Yeah, I find it very welcoming. And, and I think it's a, a facet of the role I have at the ambulance district that I got to know so many people that a lot of people, I think, just assumed that I did live here. Sure. I never really corrected it. So. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to do that. No, don't want to do that. They won't listen but, to you anymore. Uh, but yeah, whenever I say I was a Roxana shell for high school, they're like, Roxana, okay. Yes, yes. And then where did you spend your college years? I, we, uh, both my wife and I, we met at Bradley University. It's in Peoria, Illinois. Bradley and so Peoria, okay. She came south, I came north, and then uh, we, we found one another there. College sweethearts. Yes, yes. Congratulations. Got it right in there at the end. Started dating my senior year, so, okay. you know. Yeah, got, well, you got to have a little fun in college first, exactly, right? <laughs> right. You know, your wife's amazing and great. She works for for the Deerbergs she uh, does, family, yes. and yeah, she's uh, she's been with Deerbergs for about five years now. We've got a little girl uh, named Addison that uh, uh, goes to uh, Winsville School District that we absolutely love. Uh, have our home out uh, south. I always laugh and call it Lake O'Fallon Prairie is where we live. <laughs> Somewhere in that. It, it's, yeah. it's right out there. There's yes, a lot exactly. out there. There is a That's lot. Fair. It's, yeah. it's where everything kind of comes together. We, yeah. we are technically residents of the city of O'Fallon, but have a lake mailing address, Wentzville Schools and Wentzville Fire. So... That's, that's where it kind of came from, Lake O'Fallon Prairie. Yeah. yeah. And if Kyle looks familiar to you, you've probably seen him on the news. Well, mo probably mostly the news, right? It, yes. Um, yeah. Kyle, you are the community, you told me. And Director I, of Community Relations. Director yeah. of Community Relations for SCAD. Mm -hmm. um, and we were just talking off off podcast. You've been with SCAD for 15 years this I year, have, right? It will be 15 years in August. Been been a wonderful ride with the ambulance district. Uh, ah, let's see what you did there. Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. Right. Most rides are not Most wonderful. Most rides are not wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not a great day when you have to take a ride with us. But no, it's it's been a wonderful place to uh, build my skill set. And um, it, it's a great place to work. Uh, very rewarding place to work uh, with a great team of people that take good care of our community. And as you said, you, you hadn't had a big boy job outside of that. I mean, this has been your the bulk of your career. Oh, the the very much the bulk of my career. Uh, after graduation, spent a few years with the Maristar Casino. Still have very uh, fond memories and still know a few people that work down there. And then transitioned over to uh, the ambulance district and have... 
uh, really tried to evolve what we do, build the safety programs. And uh, again, it's uh, wonderful to serve a community that is so supportive of not only its, its paramedics, but all of its first responders. Um, we our, our community really does rally behind um, paramedics, firefighters, police officers um, on, on whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's the day-to-day grind or a new safety program or if we're asking for support on something, um, you can almost guarantee that, the, that this community is going to get behind it. And that's, it's wonderful to give back to that community that's so supportive of us. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, earlier on in the podcast, I would before I knew what I was doing, not that I do, now, but uh, I would have a list of questions, and inevitably, one of those questions was something like, "What's great about St. Charles County? Why do you like living here?" And it's the answer that you said. And I actually stopped asking it because I got the same response. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the first people I interviewed were um, um, mostly like business owners, mm-hmm. and so it's the same thing where it's supportive. But it's interesting to hear that from a PR perspective too, and mm-hmm. from like a, a first responder perspective that um, that it is a it's a supportive community and yeah, you're right. And, and being, um, being just like Joe citizen, I don't think that probably most people know that, but now being involved with the things that happen in St. Charles County, every time a first responder needs something, it's there, it's done. It's no questions asked. It's supported. But to your point about what makes St. Charles County unique and what makes St. Charles County great, I would go another step further on that and tell you it is this community's, willingness and ability to collaborate on Mm. all kinds of things. I mean, I've seen it time and time and time again. Everybody kind of, nobody wants to play the, we're going to silo ourselves off and we're going to go at this by ourselves. We do it within first responder world. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, We collaborate with our school districts. We collaborate with our business community. None of us can go at it alone. It, right. it's, it's not going to work. But whenever you build those pieces and those strengths of others in your community, and others are just as willing to do it. You see it all over the place. It's why programs like CAPS are so successful. It's why, um, you know, the OPO is successful. It's why, you know, insert any number of projects and initiatives in mm-hmm. our community. It's why our nonprofits are thriving. It's yeah. because the community believes in coming together and lending time and talent to make something grow and make it successful. Why is that? Do we, do we have a little bit of um, little brother syndrome to St. Louis County? Do we, do we feel like <clears throat> it's not going to work if we don't come together? We need to do this because well, kind of all we have is each other. Do you, what is that? I, I don't know what the magic is, yeah. but magic you're is, right. the, is I mean, the it's... best way I know to describe it. Cause yeah. I've heard others in other professions. It's not just, First responders across the river will reach out and say, hey, how did you get this program going? I'll say, well, you get with this person, mm-hmm. get with that person. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you guys all work together <laughs> on things? Like- yeah, absolutely we do. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've heard the same sentiment from, you know, uh, Barb Griffith, somebody I admire greatly. Uh, she has said, echoed these thoughts uh, with how community living and mm-hmm. said that, you know, yes, it's it's the community does come together and is willing to. Yeah you know, help one another out on, on initiatives. And we're, we're very willing to bounce ideas off, off one another and, and lend that assistance and that mentorship to others who are seeking advice. And that's not just in like the nonprofit or service or first responder world, because, you know, we were talking about my farmer's agency and, um, I'll tell you, as soon as I went through the vision program, uh, joined chambers, started being active and stuff, I stopped marketing because I didn't have to market anymore mm-hmm. because as soon as I found these partners and Barb Griffith was one of them, community living was one of them. It was like, yeah, how can we, how can we help make you successful? And it was like, wow, I don't, I don't have to pick up the phone anymore. I don't have to buy <laughs> leads anymore because I've, you know, I've surrounded myself with these great people uh, with these community movers that, that want to help me, that want to see me succeed. And that is not everywhere. No. No, and it's not, not only here, but it's no, but it's certainly not. not everywhere. There's other great communities out there, sure. but we we have one of them. Yeah, that for sure. Is is willing to help help out, and like I said, it's it's programs like uh, you know Caps, and it's the Career Exploration Alliance. It's trying to build that next generation up to you know want them to come back and put their roots back down where they grew up, yeah. and make sure that success continues. It's cool to see 
um, business leaders like, you know, Erica Land, Susan Sams, uh, Renee Cope, everybody involved with CAPS, really working hard to develop that next generation. Yeah, also. cool. Um, speaking of CAPS, education, did you go to school for like PR communications? What was your... I did. Okay. Um, I am not a... Uh, EMS professional by trade. I, I, I did go back uh, once I started with the ambulance district and uh, attained EMT certification just because I wanted to have some base knowledge about what, what sure. I was going to be doing yeah. and, and talking about within the community. Uh, but by uh, right out of high school, went to Bradley and earned a degree in communications with a focus in PR and a minor in marketing. What drew you to that? What I mean, I think it's so interesting, you know, uh, I think about it all the time because my my degree is it's not wasted. It certainly helped me, but I don't use it professionally. I do now doing this, but mm-hmm. you know, asking an eighteen year old what you want to do, and then you're seeing that through at almost forty. Yeah, almost uh, <laughs> just a few more weeks to go. To <laughs> Maybe by the 39. time this airs, yeah, we'll just exactly. say you're forty. Yeah, we'll just go ahead. And say um, what? Uh, yeah, um, what drew you to to public relations? And I. It's been so long ago, it's hard to remember, but <laughs> I really <laughs> wanted to do, um, I, I, and, and I did it for a few years afterwards. I, I, I wanted to be in casino marketing, and okay. what drew me to that, I'm not quite, casino, casino marketing and PR, I thought it was yeah, an exciting, fun industry. Well, the, sure. the, the, the plan was to move out to Las Vegas. Of course. Um, I mean, as, as you would expect, yeah. and work for a, an MGM or a Caesars or something of that nature. Well, you know relationships progress and, and whatnot yeah, life happens and, and life happens and, you know, realize like, Oh, it's, it's, I'm not sure it's quite fair to ask somebody to move halfway across the country. <laughs> to Las Vegas. Yeah. To yeah. Las Vegas. Which um, that's a different which we thing. We do still love going to, we well, go fairly regularly. And that's a different thing now, even, even talking about when we graduated college 20 uh, years ago, I mm-hmm. guess Vegas was different, right? I mean, it was still a lot going on, but it wasn't built up like it is now where there's, places to live and yeah. you know yeah it was it could be a different was, story today exactly it may be it may be a different story today but zero regrets whatsoever sure. it's it's uh, we we have a wonderful uh, community that we live in yeah. uh, awesome school district very happy so very very happy with the path that uh, that ended up occurring sure but, um, you know it's it's funny how you know 18 year old you thinks you know things are going to go <laughs> you one have all way these and, plans you don't know, you exactly yeah. and you know but but wouldn't change any of it sure Okay, so you get out of college, you go to work for the casino, three years that lasts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a job opening with SCAD, mm-hmm. and you applied because? I, there wasn't a lot of opportunity at the time for upward mobility. At, uh, okay. At, there, I was working for two wonderful individuals that were happy in their roles, mm-hmm. and Unless I wanted to move to um, another regional casino market, okay, there wasn't a lot of upward mobility opportunity there at the St. Charles property. So I said, okay, well, I I like this this community, and saw that this had become available, and said started doing some research because, like many people, I didn't really know much about the ambulance district. Sure, I, I figured if I picked up the phone and called nine one one, somebody um, would show Somebody up. was going to come yeah. and help me. Yeah, but. I didn't know about its reputation for quality. I didn't know that it had won multiple statewide awards for the uh, programming and the patient care that was delivered. And the more layers of the onion that I peeled back and started researching, I said, this is this is a really top-notch organization yeah. that um, I'd be proud to be a part of. And 15 years later, um, I'm more proud than ever because of the innovative patient care, innovative ways of improving patient outcomes that my colleagues continue to come up with year after year. Give me the elevator pitch on why does an ambulance district need a community relations person? (laughs) Um, Because we are more than 911 response. That's really what it ultimately comes down to. A lot of people, when they hear ambulance district, when they hear EMS, when they hear um, paramedic, all they think of is the 911 response. Mm -hmm. But we are so much more than 911. Sure. We offer our community um, 
a number of both clinical and non-clinical programs uh, that can help people. Again, it's all about improving patient outcomes. Mm -hmm. Some of those are on the front end, and that's what my department uh, will help with. Things like uh, CPR training for businesses in our community. Right. Child safety seat installs for new parents and Let's talk about safety, child safety seat installs. We're going to take it aside right now, or do we want to hold off until <laughs> we go? We'll have a fun part at the end. Okay. Questions, okay? All right. But these um, pr- these programs you do for for the community for free, people come in, or how how do those work? The vast majority are free. Uh, some are at, on an at cost basis, like our our rapid access program, for instance. It's a safe entry program, so that if somebody has a medical emergency, it's a little key box that goes uh, on their door jam. Um, the code is stored in the countywide dispatch system. The paramedics get to their house. They can uh, look in their entry notes, get the code, get the key out, get in and help that patient quickly and safely, even if that patient get, can't get to the front door to unlock it for us. Um, hugely well-received program. That's one of our examples of an at-cost program because we buy the um, little key boxes mm-hmm. uh, from Home Depot. Uh, they've been a wonderful partner on that program for about a dozen years now. And uh, we just, we, we sell them for what we buy them for. We aren't looking to make any money on that program. Um, and we do the delivery and the installation at no cost for the resident of our community because it's just another step we can put in place to help that emergency situation function quickly and sure. function smoothly. The car seat installs. It might be helping prevent an injury from occurring. Uh, the CPR training, uh, obviously very front of mind right now, given the events of Absolutely. the Bengals game a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, that is something we're seeing some increased interest in right now. Oh, interesting. Uh, we offer a program called Life Sa- I mean, most people have heard of the CPR certification classes uh, that American Heart Association and Red Cross uh, offer. And we do offer AHA classes if, you, if people want to get certified. But at the end of the day, you don't need a card in your wallet to save somebody's life. What I need you to do is check for responsiveness, call 911, and get on the chest and start doing compressions. And that's what we t- will do for businesses in our community. We offer, offer a program called Lifesaver CPR for Business. Any business, any size, if you're farmer's agency, um, if it's only you know, three or four team members, we can come in and do a 30, 45-minute class where we cover the basic mechanics, the science behind why CPR is mm-hmm. beneficial, um, cover how to use an AED, talk about Missouri's Good Samaritan Law, do all those things. It's a completely free thing that we offer any business in our community because the, we know what the outcome will be on that call if nobody provides bystander CPR prior to our arrival. Statistically, it's very unlikely that that individual will survive that cardiac event. But if we can get more and more and more people in our community comfortable with the idea and the technique of doing chest compressions until EMS arrives, it just improves outcomes across the board. True or false? When giving chest compressions, you should be pushing hard enough that how hard? I've heard some people say like it should break something. (laughs) Should you break ribs? Uh, Right, correct. Yeah, is that, I mean... um, on an adult victim of uh, cardiac arrest, you want to push down about two and a half inches. Um, obviously, at the time, you are not going to have your ruler or nope. your tape measure handy right. to check that. But you need to be pushing pretty hard. And is it a possibility that you could pop some cartilage that holds the ribs to the sternum? Mm-hmm. 100%. Absolutely, okay. that could happen. It doesn't happen in every situation, but it's not an uncommon occurrence. Yeah. And it's going to, I'll be very candid, it's going to sound gross, it's going to feel gross, but you just got to power through sure. it. Sure. Because we know what the outcome's going <laughs> right. to be if you don't do anything. You see it on TV shows, and you do. even I know, I'm like, they're not pushing hard enough, and it's exactly. a TV show. But yeah, um, I, I find it funny that in, in Hollywood, with the millions of dollars that we spend on special effects across the Yeah, can the we board, get that part right? How has someone not come up with a realistic CPR mannequin that comes in a variety that we can put different skin tones on it to yeah. make it look somewhat more realistic? Hey, we were talking off. Maybe that's a million dollars. I would say we were talking idea, off air about jumping into a business. I yeah. mean, let's go. What do you do? What exactly. are you waiting for? Yeah, where's the yeah, where's the <laughs> entrepreneurship? Maybe we can get some startup funds down at the EDC and see see if they can help us out with our realistic uh, Hollywood CPR uh, device. All right, now with Demar Hamlin, I, something I was wondering, and my wife were watching the game. We watched it happen, crazy. Yeah, um, and then just amazing that they that they saved his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never heard mention of like 
I assume they had to take off his pads or cut through his pads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I'm sure they did. Yes. Okay. He would not be able to do uh, proper chest compressions with that level okay. of chest protection on. Um, if you encounter this situation while you're at, you know, at the grocery store or at the park with your kids or whatever the case may be, uh, anything like what you or I have on right now, you could still perform chest compressions on that person. Yeah. Um, however, if we're going to integrate an automated external defibrillator AED into that situation, we would need to cut. And, and most AEDs, when you open it up, they'll have a pair of scissors inside there. You would just need to cut through all the layers of clothing so that those pads can be uh, attached to bare skin. Okay. Yeah. So the chest compressions, though, we're at a football game. We're gonna have to get those pads off. Yes, pads okay. off. But for for spectators, you you can just sure. go ahead with what if they got a sweatshirt or something like that on. Yeah, no worries. And the players, uh, going back to that again, the players did a great job of kind of huddling around and intentional or not, it blocked the cameras, which is fantastic. I mean, I'm sure there's nobody really needs to see that. No, he doesn't need that. But but that is something we wondered, and I wondered why that never got mentioned. All the you know, and unless I missed it, maybe the stuff that the the first responders had to do to to administer that. Yeah, and again, it, it, it really, for reg- regardless of where you are, it goes back to those three Cs, check, call, compress. We're going to look for regular breathing. If we don't see chest rise and fall, we're sending somebody to call 911 and look and see if there's an AED there, and then we're moving on to chest compressions. Are we point. done with the breathing part of CPR? That's a great question. Yeah, because it's been, um, I was a lifeguard in high school. Sure. Give me some credit, but, yeah. but we yeah. had the masks yeah. and breathing too, but I think... Shortly after that, they said no more breathing, just compressions. For adult victims of cardiac arrest, now drowning situations like a lifeguard uh, that you would be seeing are a little bit different. Okay. But if we are talking somebody suddenly collapses while they're standing in line at the movie theater or if, you know, they're at your office and slump over in their chair, in those kinds of situations, if our victim is an adult, we do not need to perform ventilations. For okay. Patients. You heard it here first. Yes. <laughs> Just compressions. Well, chest compressions only for adult victims. Uh, the reason for that is there's the, the process of CPR is all about moving oxygen-rich blood around the body. And you might think, like, well, you're saying oxygen's the key part of this, getting it up to the brain. Which Why would I not out. need to breathe for Which not breathing out oxygen. You are you do breathe out a little bit of you oxygen. You do breathe out a little bit. But uh, the, 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 that oxygen that was in their blood when they, when they collapsed there in front of you, it doesn't magically evaporate out of their blood immediately. Sure. It's still there. What I need you to do is move that oxygen-rich blood up to their brain so that it can sustain, uh, keep it supplied. Our pr- fancy word for supplied is perfused mm. with that oxygen. See, there you go. If you ever mind, make it onto Jeopardy. You know, perfused. perfused. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, keep that brain perfused with that oxygen-rich okay. blood. That's what, we're, that's what we're aiming for. We're just aiming for keeping that blood circulating up to the brain to keep it supplied with oxygen. We always learned it was to the beat of staying alive, you can. which is Angel's. That's his jam, right? No. You could do CPR pretty well. Maybe. Maybe. I'm, I'm sure. I, I have faith in you, Angel. I think yeah. you do great. I absolutely think so you So give do us great. a little, give us a little, can you clap to the beat? Can you give us like a Okay. Fairy Gibb would be so proud. <laughs> I'm not going to attempt to sing, yeah. especially in that voice. Yeah, that'd be tough. Um, interesting. Okay, so just compressions, no breathing, staying alive. Now, there are a couple specialty scenarios. Um, drowning is one that we would okay. still want to do ventilations because their breathing was compromised before they their heart stopped beating. Uh, suspected op- opiate overdose is another one because those drugs suppress the respiratory drive. And certainly any and all pediatrics uh, still need ventilation. Also. Okay. And we can, you know, if your business wants to schedule a Lifesaver CPR training, if you want to. Why don't you look right there about, and say that? Yeah, absolutely. If your but, business wants to schedule a Lifesaver <laughs> CPR training, you can call our headquarters facility, uh, ask to speak with me, and we will get you on the books. And if there's specialty scenarios that you want to talk about, if you've got a lot of folks in your office who do have kids and they wanted to learn, um, you know, how what is proper ventilation technique. We've got child mannequins as well as infant mannequins. If you give us a little bit of extra time, we're happy to delve into extra topics. Very cool. Um, Let's talk a little bit about SCAD, Mm -hmm. S-C-C-A-D. Two C's, that's right. St. Charles County, Mm -hmm. which is a thing, right? Because uh, Local 636, we 
a lot of times we say St. Charles and what I mean is St. Charles County. Mm-hmm. And I think what people hear is like the city of St. Charles. Sure. Um, so I think that other C is important. The other C is important yeah. because we cover all 592 square miles of St. Charles County, all cities, all municipalities. Did you know how many square miles were in St. Charles County before that? <laughs> but did you know? Did you know? Okay, five ninety two. Just rolls right off the tongue. Doesn't yeah, it? you've said this before, years, haven't you? Should, yeah. yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Uh, yes, all all five hundred ninety two square miles, all municipalities, all unincorporated areas we cover. Uh, we do that uh, from a nine one one coverage perspective with nineteen ambulances as of today, uh, running twenty four seven three sixty five, and those nineteen trucks run out of seventeen stations that we have spread all over our community. Which stations have two? Uh, the stations that have two. Quick are, math, you like that? Yeah, I, I know. I had to sit and think about <laughs> it for uh, just one second. We've got a station out on East Pierce Boulevard in Wentzville okay. that is extraordinarily busy. They run two trucks. And then we've got a station on Mexico Road. Um, I believe it is in city limits of uh, O'Fallon, but technically has a St. Peter's mailing. It's Mexico and Sondran, sure. uh, essentially. That uh, That is a station that also keeps uh, very, very busy, and they've got two trucks. What's the most common call out in Wentzville? Um, I can't tell you the most common call in Wentzville, but countywide, I can say, uh, unless something has changed, uh, falls are our number one category. I figured it. I had a funny thing to say, but I think, yeah, the larger category would be falls or maybe getting up off of... All of that kind of uh, goes together. Yeah. And um, falls are an interesting category of call is that they can be a complete non-injury call that mm-hmm. the person knows that they're not injured, but they're not able to get themselves up off the floor and they just need that helping hand. Yeah. Um, it can be an extraordinarily serious fall. You mm-hmm. know, the person that fell off of a ladder from three stories up. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these all encompass a, a fall call. Um so that that is our number one category of call. How by how far of a margin is it number one? Um, last I heard, I believe it was twenty one percent of our overall call volume. Now that that's a that stats I believe a couple of years old. Sure, but I, I have I have to believe that one the, out of five calls. The the statistics are, are somewhere still in that general uh, vicinity. Uh, that about one in five calls uh, originate with with a fall of some sort. And are you sending someone? 100% of the time when someone falls? Absolutely. You're sending if they someone, call okay. 911, we yeah. are going to uh, respond to that call. Um, fall patients uh, or those who maybe are more susceptible to falls are a great person to participate in that rapid access program that I mentioned earlier ah. so that we're able to get in quickly and safely, don't have to force entry. Uh, we can get ourselves in there, uh, get them taken care of. Um, quickly, safely. Of course, we're always going to do an assessment on a patient who falls, even if they tell us, oh, I'm not hurt, you know, okay, cool, but let's let's check out, make sure everything's okay, um, you know, before we head back to the station. Uh, sometimes they are not injured. Sometimes uh, we find upon assessment that, that there is something medically going on, and we'll, we'll get them to the facility of, that they want to go to, uh, make sure that they get everything taken care of. What's the strangest call? That you can say. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> and if you um, need to marinate on that, we can go to something else and come the, back. Uh, the, the strange, there, there's been, there's of course always going to be some that, you know, rise to the top. But the one that I, I always go back to is uh, hearing about a an individual who was, it was back whenever. Do you remember when bath salts were quite? <laughs> uh, it was it was a huge issue, uh, not just in our community, but I still don't really know what it is. I don't. What really, is it? It was a synthetic form of some. It was marketed as bath salts, sure, and they were sold in. I some, don't even know what bath salts are. Like you put them in your bath? No, that's how they. Bath, Anybody? Yes, bath salts. I guess you can so, buy it like a so, bath and Manny's a Manny's a bath taker. Okay, you like some candles also, <laughs> no. Manny? <Yeah. laughs> Okay. Um, But it was marketed as bath salts, and it was some kind of a synthetic drug thing, and this individual had utilized a lot. In the nose? or I don't know. Okay. I I don't know how that works. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, And I guess it was was, had a very altered mental status and was naked at the intersection of Kay and Laura Hill. Okay. Uh, It was climbing up on cars that were parked at the intersections. Wow. So, yeah, that was 
Well, bath salts and being naked. I mean, you I, you could I, almost I, expect that, I guess. I, I guess I, I don't know. But that and was, what do you do? Is a little Narcan for that, or that's uh, Narcan would not be appropriate in no. that situation. Okay. Narcan is um, is utilized only on opiate overdoses. Okay. to reverse the effect of an opiate based drug, and then the bath salts were not opiate based. Uh, sure. I'm I'm not quite sure what a little cold water course. in the face, a yeah, couple slaps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly what treatment was delivered on the call. I just heard about the events leading sure. up to it versus the uh, the treatment <laughs> itself was probably rather benign uh, compared sure. with the the events leading yeah. up to it. But yes, that one that one does stick out <laughs> because I'm just imagining the scene play out and some poor person just sitting there at the stoplight <laughs> and what must be running through their head. <sighs> That's rough. Yeah. Um, Let's talk, let's talk a little more about SCAD and the great things that you guys do. And um, if we've got that uh, new facility picture, that's great. Um, as a lot of people can assume, uh, SCAD, uh, first responders, everything's paid for out of taxpayers' money. Sure, absolutely. We were talking a little bit again how, and I'm sure you've, you've heard this more than me, I'm sure. Why do I have to pay for, why do they got a new building? And, why, you know, and it's like, Understandable. We, we understand. Sure. Um, the, the new facility that you see here behind us uh, was financed using bond money that voters overwhelmingly approved in 2018. That was called Proposition Ambulance, and it was a $70 million bond. A little under half of that went to finance the construction of the facility you see there. There's a lot more on either side of it. I just yeah, love that. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. Love that shot of the, uh, of the main entrance in our community room there. Uh, but what that facility did was it brought everyone together that was spread throughout basically everything that wasn't 911 operations was spread throughout five buildings in three different municipalities we had um, facilities in Cottleville O'Fallon St. Peter's multiple buildings in St. Peter's um, and it was a rather disjointed way of doing business we had our uh, fleet maintenance and logistics center were in Cottleville our non-emergency transfers were out in O'Fallon um, HR and finance was in one building in St. Peter's training was in a different building in St. Peter's. And finally, then we had our administration, um, in, in a third building in St. Wow. Peter's, um, lots to you know, lots going on there. And, um, what we did basically was pull all of those departments together and moved into, uh, this facility that you see here that is not only going to meet the needs of our organization for today, but this is about a 30-year building, we we anticipate, that it's been purpose-built with room to grow. Sure. Um, you know, we're not going to build something then only to have to say, oh, we need to add on right. in five years. That's not going to do anybody any good. Because the more call volume that we end up getting, um, eventually you have to add back-of-house positions to support. More calls means we have to hire more paramedics. More paramedics eventually necessitates a need for more training officers to make sure everybody's keeping up with their credentialing. More calls means we have to order more supplies. Um, eventually, if our network of stations expand, we may need to add on our uh, supply technicians, the folks that get these uh, deliveries, everything from uh, IV starts and bandages all the way to paper towels and forks right. for the kitchens at the station. Yeah. Um, more folks to get those out to uh, where they need to go. Um, so everything revolves around the, the increased volume necessitates more volume on the back end also. And, and that's that, what brought all of this, all of these components together. And that volume surpassed 50,000 calls. It did. Recently. It did. Um, for the first time in 2022, we eclipsed 50,000 um, on our call volume. I know you're, that's it, crazy. It, I mean, and that reaction is pretty much universal. Whenever yeah. I share a number like that with our community, it's, I get a lot of, I had absolutely no idea. I'm trying to do rough math. So like a, a hundred calls a day would be 36,000. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it works out to about 130, 135 a day that we respond to. And certainly wow. there are days where it's only 90, but there's days where it's 200 also. Um, and that's across the 19 stations. 19 stations. Uh, but remember also, there are non-emergency transfers that come into play okay. also. Uh, if somebody Give needs me the, to, yeah. Um, if somebody is leaving uh, St. Joe's and is going to um, Breeze Park for some rehab after a hip replacement, okay. um, that would be a non-emergency transfer. Gotcha. If somebody is leaving um, 
barn St. Peter's and needs to go down to big barns for a very specialty procedure or they need some kind of specialty care that our regional hospitals don't have. That's handled by uh, that surge division, uh, our non-emergency transfers. We've also got our critical care uh, transfers that uh, come out of the hospitals that those are the sickest of the sick, folks who are on, you know, a balloon pump, multiple infusions, things of that nature, folks who used to perhaps uh, have to have an ICU nurse accompany us on that trip. We've now got a number of our folks uh, that have gone back for more schooling and are specialty credentialed as critical care paramedics so they can handle those most acute of patients. Wow. So all of that together, yeah, 50,000 plus now, uh, 50,700 some, I believe. is. I, I'm, it's still so fresh in my mind. I, I know we moved over yeah. 50K, but I, the, it'll take me a few more weeks to get that exact number right off the roll off the tongue, like 590 square miles. And I'll never forget that. I know, right? Now, when the calls come in, do they come into one central location and then they're dispersed to the corresponding? They, they do. Um, whenever you call 911 from your cell phone or from uh, a landline, where that's going to go first is your, uh, your municipal police department. Or if you're uh, in unincorporated, it goes to county PD. Never called 911. Never? Really? I don't think so. Is that uncommon? Um, I, you know, uh, most folks. You've called 911? Yeah, most folks have, you know, seen a car wreck occur or something of that nature. But um, so where that call is going to go first is your municipal PD. If you call from the office, it'll go to St. Charles. Uh, whenever you say that, hey, I've got somebody who I, uh, you know, has has fallen or as I think maybe they're having some shortness of breath or they're having chest pain. The minute that you say that call is um, fire or EMS related, your PD is going to push a button and that's going to automatically go out to St. Charles County Department of Emergency Communication. Uh, that is a county department and we are not a part, we are not a county, a division of county government. I think this is always something that um, there's some confusion there because, you know, right there, county's in our name. Um, yes, it's but the we, second C. It is the second C, <laughs> but it, we are not a county department. We are our own separate uh, entity. Um, the folks who operate emergency communications, they are a county department. They are okay. housed out at... Any Just meaning you're not under the governance of the county. Of the county, correct. Okay. Um, whereas emergency communications is. they And they have an absolutely phenomenal facility out on um, T.R. Hughes. Just up off, if you take 79 oh, yeah. north yeah, yeah, and then make peel left onto T.R. Hughes. Yeah, there. that's a newer facility it too, is. right? With it all is. the... Uh, uh, um, emergency weather stuff and exactly yeah exactly um awesome group of individuals who we often refer to as the first first responders they are the ones who get everything put in motion for that call they are the ones uh running through a list of questions with that caller to determine what resources are needed you might think when you call 911 oh well they just need an ambulance and maybe a pumper of uh, uh, some firefighters on mm -hmm. that call but there's so much more to it than that. Was it a motor vehicle accident? Did that person strike a uh, something, a, a fire hydrant that requires that, wa that the water company be involved? Mm. Uh, is there an electrical component like Amron that needs to be involved? Uh, was one of the vehicles involved a, a tractor trailer that was maybe transporting some kind of a material that we may need? Oh, man. We may have some MoDOT sort of hazmat needs, situation. Okay. Do wow. we need to get MoDOT uh, engaged? Um I, yeah, I would never I was have on a thought call early, uh, earlier uh, last year that they had to get in contact with uh, folks at the railroad. Um, huh. So all kinds of resources that these folks, um, in a moment's notice, get working to coordinate to you know make sure care can be delivered optimally for for that individual who hmm. needs help. Um, so they are the ones who uh, then tone out whatever resources are being deployed. And again, uh, the amount of resources being deployed are wholly dependent on the severity of the situation. If it's that caller that says, um, I, I've just fallen, I can't get myself up. Oh, I thought um, you were going to do it. Yeah, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, if, if it's that call... Um, they may just send an ambulance on the quiet, right. but that's very different than the three vehicle uh, motor vehicle accident out on 70, uh, where they say, hey, one of the cars rolled over, we need help. And that's where we get, you know, a pumper, a battalion chief, um, and, and am a couple of ambulances and a SCAD battalion chief, yeah. uh, multiple uh, police units also on that call. So they beautifully orchestrate getting all of that together for us. And certainly... 
Uh, we are in communication with them in route. Once we get on scene, what other, um, cause you don't know everything, you know, right. Um, they are able to get additional units to the scene if needed, uh, based on the assessment of the first arriving crews. All right. Now you mentioned that when you, when you got the job, you did go through some training just did, to get yes. the terminology, the jargon to mm -hmm. know the scope of what you were doing. Has it ever gotten to a point where you were needed? Um, I thought it was going to okay. uh, a couple of times. I've, I've certainly, uh, throughout my 15 years, I've pulled up on a few motor vehicle accidents, thankfully very minor ones. Uh, I, I, I maintain my EMT licensure. I just don't do it as practice. The, the, interestingly, I always laugh and say, the one call I'm probably better equipped to deal with than any other is the most serious medical event a person can experience, and that's a cardiac arrest, because I can at least, I teach so much CPR, I can at least perform chest really good chest compressions yeah. until the crew gets there. Now, I wouldn't be able to do the advanced life support measures that our paramedics are, because I maintain an EMT basic uh, licensure, Whereas everyone operating on our ambulances is at least an EMT paramedic level. Okay. Um, two different levels of licensure, often thrown around very interchangeably in Hollywood and whatnot. But those are two different levels of licensure. Okay. Um, let's talk about that. Let's yeah. talk about how do you how do you get that and what's what's involved with doing uh, that. If if you decide you want to enter, enter the EMS profession. Um, and I certainly for any young person uh, or someone maybe considering a career change, if, if medicine is something that interests you, if caring for your community is something that interests you, it's definitely something to look at. Um, where everybody starts is with a good quality EMT program. And um, that generally is going to be about a five to six month program. Um, ours is one day a week. There are some that are more accelerated that go two, three days a week. And you take you that a, through SCAD? You can. Okay. Yes. There, there's multiple places here in our community that offer EMT programs. Um, we, we think very highly of our own program, obviously. Sure. Uh, we have really strong retention rates within our program. We have very, very strong uh, national registry pass rates. Because just because you go through an EMT class or a paramedic class doesn't mean you're an EMT or a paramedic. Right. Uh, there's testing and credentialing that goes on at the end of that process that you become a nationally registered emergency medical technician. And same would then go for if you decide to further uh, your education and go for a paramedic license, um, that, that's at SCAD. That is a one-year program, um, generally two days a week is what we um, tell everybody to plan on. There are some weeks where it's only one, but generally two days a week for a full year with a lot of clinical hours. Uh, you will get a lot yeah. of touch point with patients, not only in the back of ambulances, but also we partner with the hospitals in our community to get folks time in the ICU, time in the emergency department, um, to get a broad array of exposure to the things that they're going to see. Uh, and they exit that program very well prepared uh, for the emergencies that life can throw at all of sure. us. Um, so lock, stock, and barrel what's good for people to plan on is about two years start to finish to become a paramedic. Um, we do require, if you move uh, into that paramedic level, um, we do require a couple of college level courses that we can recommend uh, down at St. Charles Community College. They do, they've got a wonderful program that uh, we can get folks set up uh, with a good track down there for things like anatomy and physiology and some science courses that really help them be successful in that paramedic level program. Okay. Now, do you have to, uh, to be a firefighter, which I know we're not talking about, but is that EMT required to do that as um, well? It depends. There okay. are some, uh, virtually all fire protection districts here in our community uh, require at least EMT level licensure, but actually the majority now do require, require paramedic level licensure. Okay. Uh, several years ago, you may remember uh, hearing that several of them transition to what's called advanced life support pumpers. And what that means is that on each fire truck at an agency that has ALS pumpers, there is at least one paramedic on every pumper. That if they get to the call first, they could administer that higher level. Oh, I'm knocking my mic. Mm. Um, hand talking. Um, uh, the They could administer that higher level of care. Okay. Um, so that's something that came about. Uh, 
several departments began that process about five or six years ago, and several others have followed suit since. And what's the need for for EMTs, for paramedics in our county? It's delivering that high level of care right in the initial minutes after something has happened. Obviously, here in St. Charles County, our transport times are not tremendously long. We're very fortunate to have four awesome hospitals here in St. Charles County and access to a number of others that are not far outside our county, like MOBAP, Mercy, DePaul. Right. Um, these are, we, we've got access to a number of great facilities. Um, but those initial minutes can really make the difference, sure. a profound difference in the ultimate outcome of that call. And that's why it's awesome to have highly skilled, highly trained top-level clinicians operating on our ambulances. Is there a need for more of those in our county? Are we understaffed? Are we, have we got, where do we, I, we I will not lie to you. Uh, we are, um, we find ourselves in the same staffing position that a lot of businesses do. We know a lot of businesses in our community are having a, a more difficult time than in years past. We're still doing okay, but it, it is not like it used to be. Where if we had, if we were going to open up six positions, and that's a pretty common number that it's, unless we have just one person retire and we're going to bring one new person in, if we're going to put up a new truck, it's six paramedic positions. Because okay. remember, our crews work 48 hour shifts. So it's 48 hours on, 96 hours, four days off. So you've got to have an A shift, a B shift, and a C shift. So a new truck being brought into the 911 division means that we have to have six new paramedic positions. Um, it used to be if we were going to have hire six individuals, we may have close to, gosh, 80, 90 people apply. Wow. It's not numbers like that anymore. Um, thankfully, we're doing some things to try and uh, make SCAD a a premier attractive place for people to work. Our benefit package is wonderful. They know they've got access to top-level uh, training staff to continue their education. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to what is the compensation structure? What does it look like? And thankfully, last November, uh, we presented that to voters uh, with, in the form of Proposition Paramedic and said, you know, hey, look, um, we, are, we are finding ourselves, um, in some cases, losing staff to other agencies. We've hmm. got private EMS companies that are able to, over on the St. Louis County side, um, able to offer 10 plus thousand dollar sign-on bonuses wow. for paramedics. We've got other agencies that were offering shift bonuses, meaning that in addition to your hourly rate that you were getting, you were getting three, four hundred dollar shift bonus just for picking up that unattractive overnight shift. Sure. That's challenging yeah. to go up against that. I mean, uh, and, you know, so uh, we presented those facts to our community and said, you know, hey, look, we are on the cusp of needing to fill probably somewhere in the ballpark of 100 paramedic positions over the next decade. From January of this year through the next 10, probably somewhere in the ballpark of 100. Wow. Um, there's a couple reasons for that. Um, growth, you know, we talk about, 50,000 calls that is growing by about, we, we grew by 5.9% over to 2021 okay. in terms of call volume. Mm -hmm. We don't expect that 5 to 6% trend to slow down in the near future. Um, so more calls necessitates more, more ambulances to maintain the short response times that we offer today. Um, the other factor is we are we're already kind of in a um, in a mode of for a long time we had a a younger workforce and and we still have a lot of young people that work for us but we're starting to get to a point where some people who came on board when we were going through our first big grow phase in the late 90s and early 2000s well they're a quarter century in on their journey with sad scan some of them are at 25 30 35. Uh, years in on their journey and retirement's coming. So we know we're going to, you know, have to refill those positions in addition to staffing the new ones. What makes a good, uh, like if, if, if there's anyone listening or watching that is thinking about this, what makes a good, what are some characteristics that a person would have that would make a good EMT um, or first responder? Critical thinking skills, um, 
it's not always a linear path of I do A, I do B, I do C. Sometimes mm. it's triaging and figuring out what is the most what is the most immediate need and how do I best go about it. So good critical thinking skills and empathy. Being able to put yourself in that patient's shoes of what's what that person is facing on that day um, is a huge attribute that is is needed in this profession um, because they're they're they are going to see folks from all walks of life and they being able to connect with those patients and understand what they're going through is hugely beneficial. If there's anybody that does have, you know, maybe a, a high school student that is uh, interested in maybe gravitating towards something medical, it's fascinating that when young people think medical, they think docs, nurses, maybe physical therapists, sure. because it's the folks that they're exposed to. Mm -hmm. Maybe they had a sports injury or something mm -hmm. like that. And, uh, they went and saw a physical therapist, and they thought, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, EMS doesn't always bubble to the top with young people. Sure. So we're trying to flip that script and work with our, um, you know, again, I, I talked about our involvement with the CAPS program. They meet at our building one day a week, and they get a lot of exposure to uh, various um, aspects of our business. But we've started something new in fall of last year called the Paramedic Exploration Academy. It's a five-week program of nice short hour and a half sessions, five of them, that lets them meet with different leaders within our department um, and not only do a little bit of classroom stuff, but get hands-on experience. Uh, we do Very everything cool. from intubation on the mannequins to IV starts, so they can kind of get a feel for some of the things that we do. You know, it was a new program last fall. We didn't know how it was going to go over, but again, thanks to collaboration and partnership with our um, with our school districts and some of those college and career counselors and biomed teachers, helping identify those students that would be good fits. We we've thought, oh, if we can fill a class of twenty five, we'll be happy. Well, we not only filled a class uh, a little bit over capacity for the fall, but we've already got a spring class full based on interest that we got. Um, on that initial offering. So very, very excited to be continuing to offer that. It seems like it was a winner, and I think we're going to continue that program in the years to come to give young people that chance to see what we're all about. And if it's if it serves as nothing more than a, oh, absolutely not, that's okay. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good, right. To rule something out <laughs> exactly. that you don't want to do. Get it out early. But even better, if, it's, if it does spark that interest to say, yeah. I do want to spend a, a lifetime helping people. Yeah. Well, and you've certainly taken that on, and we were talking a little bit before we're going to wrap up here, but it's just, it's awesome to hear someone that's so passionate about what they do, and, you know, we were talking before, anytime I look your way at a meeting or a room we're in, you just always have this great disposition, you always seem happy, you seem to really enjoy what you do, and, and extremely knowledgeable about our county, and... I, I have a team that gives me a lot of good material, yeah. To work with. Sure. That's and, great. and that's ultimately what it comes down to, whether it's attaining pediatric level one status or one of our team members being named state paramedic of the year or any number of other things. There's always awesome things happening that make my job really easy yeah. <laughs> to well, communicate and, with our community. And to bring it full circle, it's it's about working together, right? And, and helping each other out and wanting to see people succeed. So for sure. Thanks so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. It was invite. extremely knowledgeable and informational and entertaining, I hope. Good deal. I, I had a great time. Thanks for having me.